DW Africa Link Hello and welcome to Africa Link. We're coming to you live from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. I'm Kai Nebe. And with Kai, I am Okeri Ngushinado. Welcome to those who are following us on our partner stations and also on our Facebook page, DW Africa. You can also find us on Spotify. So there's lots to get through today. But first of all, we'll start up with South Africa's ruling party. The ANC has suspended its former leader, Jacob Zuma, the embattled ex-president, faces a litany of legal problems, but also founded a new political party. The ANC has come to the realization that right now they have nothing to lose because it's clear that uh, MK is now enjoying support across the country. Interesting indeed. We'll also preview what the changing political landscape means for Southern Africa's biggest economy. South Africa's foreign policy and economic diplomacy is determined by the ANC. Now, as you know, South Africa is an economic anchor for the region. That and much more coming your way. But first of all, we'll just hear the news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan has been sentenced to 10 years in jail for revealing state secrets. Khan is already in prison serving a three-year jail term in a separate corruption case. He's banned from standing in elections next week, but still has significant public support. Khan's legal team says it will appeal against this sentence. Zufri Bukhari is a senior member of Imran Khan's political party and a close aide to the former prime minister. This was his reaction to the verdict. Well, this is writing on the wall, the way that this hearing and the whole case was being conducted unlawfully. And, and Imran Khan's lawyers were not allowed to even speak on his behalf or even cross-examine any of the witnesses that were presented by the prosecution. So we probably expected a little bit worse than this even. But like I said, it's a lower court. and it's, it's already been appealed in the high court and the Supreme Court, which we know uh, will find justice in. Israel's military says it has killed three members of what it calls a terrorist cell at a hospital in the occupied West Bank. Israel says that the militants were using the facilities in Jenin as cover. The director of Ibn Sina Hospital said at least one of the men killed was being treated there. DW's Tanya Kramer in Jerusalem with more was captured on CCTV footage and on this CCTV footage it appears that this undercover unit went in on the third floor of this hospital you know dressed uh, as civilians uh, uh, some of them in me- uh, dressed as medical staff some even dressed as uh, women but you could also see that they had automatic weapons and uh, their target were three young Palestinian men. They're saying they're part of the Janine Brigades, an umbrella group that comprises uh, militants from Hamas and also from Islamic Jihad and other groups. DW's Tanya Kramer in Jerusalem. Close to 400 people have died in Ethiopia's Tigray and Amhara regions due to drought-induced starvation, according to latest statement by country's state-appointed federal ombudsman institute. The remarks contradict earlier statement, statements from federal authorities that they were had they were that there had not been confirmation that anyone had died of starvation in any region in the country. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. 
The African Union has called for dialogue between the Economic Community of West Africa states, ECOWAS, and junta-led countries in Niger, Mali, and Burkina Faso, who announced leaving the bloc. The three nations accused ECOWAS of posing a threat to their sovereignty. They had all been founding members when ECOWAS was set up almost 50 years ago. And Hong Kong's government has begun tightening national security laws, building on sweeping legislation imposed by Beijing in 2020. The measures will cover state secrets, um, and foreign influence. Critics say democracy and civil liberties in Hong Kong are being eroded. For more news and information, head on to our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jin Nyingi. You are listening to DW's Africa Link program with the latest news from Africa and the rest of the world. I'm Kai Nebe. And I'm Okerin Gushinado. As always, catch us on our partner stations across Africa or right here on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Yeah, so Okerin, you've got lots to get through today. And again, we'll start off in South Africa, where the African National Congress has suspended party membership of former national president and party leader Jacob Zuma. This comes after Jacob Zuma founded a political party called Mkonto Wesizwe, Spear of the Nation, which is also the name of the ANC's armed wing during the liberation struggle against apartheid. Mm-hmm. To carry. Of course, Jacob Zuma's position in the ANC had become tense after he launched a series of personal attacks against the ANC's top brass, including current President Cyril Ramaphosa. Questions do remain, though, how this will affect the ANC's political support in Zuma's stronghold in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, questions that our South African correspondent Tuso Komalo asked in this report. This was the shocking announcement made by former President Jacob Zuma on the 16th of December 2023 at a media briefing in Soweto. I'm calling members of the ANC to vote for MK. I'm not going to vote for the ANC. I'm going to vote for MK. And I'm calling ANC members to vote for me, MK, so that we have a majority to change this country. And after a month of Zuma's intense campaigns and visible signs of his party gaining popularity across the country, ANC Secretary General Figile Mbalula told a media briefing on Monday that the party's National Executive Council, NEC, has decided to suspend Zuma. His actions reinforces the work of the primary right-wing opponents of the National Democratic Revolution. In this regard, in assuming this reactionary public posture, former President Zuma is actively asserting himself as the figurehead of counter-revolution in South Africa. Former President Jacob Zuma is actively impounding the integrity of the ANC and campaigning to dislodge the ANC from power while claiming that he has not terminated his membership. ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa has dismissed the assertions that the party fears Zuma and his influence in the ANC Hence, it took a full month to only suspend him, not even expel him. He still says, I'm still a member of the ANC. And that is why we, uh, in terms of the natural justice that is enshrined in our constitution, 
have to follow the dictates of our constitution in terms of uh, rule 2560 we then have to say that there are exceptional circumstances that lead us in terms of our constitution to suspend him and we will then embark on a process a fairly straightforward process of uh, dealing with him in terms of our constitution Political analyst Begin Gomez Zulu says Zuma left the NC with no other choice but a difficult and delicate decision to make. The NC has come to the realization that right now they have nothing to lose because it's clear that uh, MK is now enjoying support across the country and then, of course, more especially in different provinces like Wazulu Natal, Gauteng, and others where they've already had the rallies. So they've now come to the realization that uh, whatever we do, whatever we don't do, uh, the writing is on the wall that we have a problem. Others say, given the support that Zuma still enjoys within the ANC, especially the party stronghold of KwaZulu-Natal province, the line drawn on the sand could be the beginning of the ANC's exit from power. Tusa Kamalo bringing us those voices from South Africa. Now, South Africa's election this year will not be the only one in Africa or even in the Southern African development community. Mozambique, Botswana and Namibia are also holding elections while further afield, Ghana, South Sudan, mm-hmm. Togo, Senegal and Chad head to the polls. Busy year, right? Okay. Yeah, very true, Kai. But for Southern Africa, the South African election could have big repercussions. Exactly. And that's why I spoke to geopolitical analyst Menzi Ndlovu. I started off by asking him how the ANC's waning political power is already affecting how African nations deal with South Africa. Yeah, I think you are quite right in saying that the ANC has fallen from its perch relative to previous years. You see this through polling, you see this through uh, approval ratings. Neighboring countries will be looking at the election with a keen eye and more importantly at uh, the outcome and the ANC's fate. And I think that's because they may have to recalibrate their policy towards South Africa. South Africa's foreign policy and economic diplomacy is determined by the ANC. Now, as you know, South Africa is an economic anchor for the region, right? It imparts a substantial amount of customs revenue from trade to the region. It provides monetary buffers via the Reserve Bank to the region. It trades goods and services at a discount to the region, including electricity, by the way, which we are short of, right? And a large part of these beneficial arrangements are due to the ANC's altruism, its sense of indebtedness for the help that other countries gave during the struggle, and a pan-African foreign policy that has a strong emphasis on the immediate neighborhood. Now, a change in government, main point, a change in government to an administration that is less concerned about the neighborhood, or one that might demand more, all right, and say that you guys have to put your bill will put into doubt some of these beneficial arrangements that the likes of Namibia, Lesotho, Eswatini, and to a lesser extent Botswana have been receiving from South Africa for the last 30 years. This will force them to shift their entire fiscal policy. For many years, uh, <clears throat> South Africa has been the, the economic engine room of uh, the Southern African development community. But 
I actually want to put this question to you. Do you think that that is still really the case, considering the endless power cuts in South Africa, the, um, the, yeah. you, you know, the, the, the geopolitical situation has changed a bit, would you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I think South Africa doesn't hold as much sway as it once did in the past. Our economy is not growing that fast. We're no longer as efficient. And there was a period in South Africa's history where we vacated from our leadership role in the region, specifically during the Jacob Zuma administration. And I think this allowed for a vacuum for other powers, right, to exploit and to put themselves front and center, such as Rwanda. Kenya has exploited South Africa's absence from the economic discourse, and the likes of Nigeria, Morocco, Egypt, and Ethiopia have also led on issues that South Africa had previously led on. Since the Ramaphosa administration, we have seen South Africa gradually climb back towards its perch. There have been some crowning moments which show that the sleeping giant is waking up. All right, so the handling of the pandemic, that was big, and South Africa had an instrumental role to play in how Africa dealt with the pandemic, right? We were central to getting vaccines for the continent through the African Union Vaccine Initiative. Second, the Security Intervention in Mozambique, the BRICS conference, that was big. And it showed that South Africa not only has influence or can have influence within its immediate neighborhood, but with bigger powers in the global south. More recently, we have seen South Africa lead the global South response to the Israel-Palestine issue and the pursuit of stability in the Red Sea region. So we're no longer where we once were under Mandela and Mbeki, but I think we're better off now than where we were under Zuma. And that I was speaking to uh, Menzi Ndlovo, a geopolitical specialist at Signal Risk over there. So, Kerry, we do have some comments on this story. Mm -hmm, Yeah, because South Africa's former president, Jacob Zumba, has been suspended from the ANC. Now, we asked on our Facebook page, do you think this is the right move from the ANC? Uh, We have a comment here from Francis Mawala saying tyranny will never change. And uh, Watson uh, Chelly just simply says Zuma is a betrayer. And uh, Potifar Tembo says every every organization, including the ANC, has rules. So follow and they have the right to... uh, suspend him from the party. And a final comment here from TJ says, you can't take your friend to court and still maintain friendship. Um, Keep your comments coming on Africa Link. Welcome to the second part of the show in case you're just joining us. This is DW's Africa Link program and we're coming to you live from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. I am Okirin Gushinado. And I'm Kai Nebe. Remember, you can always be part of the show by listening through on our partner stations across the African continent and also on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And we have there Rosine Pascal Owona listening to us from Bamenda, Cameroon. So thanks for joining us. And remember, those of you listening, please 
uh, add a few comments onto our page mm-hmm. and we'll read them out on air. Mm-hmm. Now coming up, Afghan reigning champion Senegal were trampled by Ivory's coast, the elephants. We came here to win this African Cup of Nations and we were disappointed for our people who were expecting a lot from us, but I'm proud of my boys. Now, before we go to AFCON, um, let's go to our next story. I have a question for you, Kai, before we introduce the story. Would you agree to a prenup before getting married? I mean, this is basically an agreement where you and your partner agree not to touch each other's money or properties if you were to ever get divorced. Well, I have to say, I've not been in that position yet where I've had to make (laughs) these decisions, but I think it seems like a sensible thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, as divorce rates and postmarital disputes keep growing, more people are turning to prenuptial agreements. Some argue that prenups show a lack of trust and respect for the other partner, while those in support say in this day and age, a prenup is the most important document that you can sign before getting married. But this is a question that's been asked all over the world, and we specifically went to Zimbabwe and asked young Zimbabweans what they think of this situation. Our man on the ground privilege, Muvan Shiri, and his panel here in Harare did the rest, and they'll take the conversation from here. I'm joined on the panel by Pastor Simba Woloza, a marriage counselor and a radio personality, Hilton Zidzai, a development practitioner, Tabith Watadza, a law student, and Patience Gweshe, a graphic design university student. Coming to the young people on the panel, I'm sure all of you have heard of the word prenup. Is this something you would go for before getting married? Well, for me personally, at this moment in time, I don't have anything in my position other than the things that my parents have bought for me. So if I am to meet with someone, they, I really don't think there's a point to have a prenup. So let's just get in there and then grow together. How is the issue of uh, prenups taken in your circles as young people? And uh, maybe probably I'll hear from Pastor Waloza and uh, Hilton. Uh, if this is something that you know people are even considering. People are considering it nowadays more than ever uh, because of the age gap uh, difference that's there now. You find that a young person then uh, is, is involved with an older person. Obviously, the older person comes in with uh, something. So they, they want to protect their assets, obviously. They want to protect their financial interests and all that. So definitely, they'll put the prenup on the table. Hilton, what has been your experience? For me, prenups, they set a question already. If you're setting conditions, it means that there's a problem you need to fix before you get in there. If you get in there with a problem, the legal document may be there, but is it enough to fix the problem that you want the, the document for in the first place? Some are saying, let's get in there. Let's forget about this uh, prenup issue. Do you think prenups is the best way to go in a marriage? Obviously, it is not. According to me, it is not. Because like Hilda said, it's actually something that is it's more like a red flag to say that there are issues. Issues primarily to do with uh, trust. So for me, it's not the best to do. I'm a pastor. I marry people as well. And um, obviously, I would also want to look at uh, Christian values. When you look at the Christian marriage, the vision for Christian marriage is to unite two people so that they become one flesh and unite in every area. So if we can bring our assets together, then we are not meeting uh, the requirements of that uh, Christian marriage that we're getting into. I see some nodding uh, from Tabith. Pastor Holoza is bringing up the question of trust. There are some who argue that marriage is based on trust. And if someone wants a prenup, it clearly shows that uh, trust isn't there. 
What is your take? I would like to shed more light from a legal perspective. I think a pre a prenup agreement it's very instrumental from my own analysis in our field because it serves as a mitigant during any divorce procedure. Like the pastor said that we are in a situation where there's that generational gap. I get married to somebody who's 60 years old. I'm only 22. Perhaps he doesn't want to carry my financial burdens. So if there's a prenup and maybe we're headed for a separation or a divorce, that prenup will save him from be it maybe I've acquired a loan and we're in the middle of a separation. I might want to take advantage now that debate was done by Privilege Mushanuri, um, part of our 77% uh, debate show, which was on the same topic, would you sign a prenup? Now we also ask on our Facebook page, what do you think of, um, would you marry someone that says you need to sign a prenup? Kai, what are some of the comments we're getting? Well, certainly there have been some varied positions on this. Ashitu Galaji says, we don't sign any documents here in Africa because marriage is worth more than that in our traditions. Mm-hmm. Madi Mad says every marriage based on fact to signing any document is a big risk. In our tradition here, I mean Africa, we don't know these kinds of marriages. It's a trap for men. Well, and Devaji May says getting married these days is a calamity, especially when there's some money involved. Now, there is some truth to that last comment in mm-hmm. particular. The thing is, though, Prenups are actually quite common in other parts of the world, especially in Europe and the United States. Plenty of Hollywood movies have been based around this specific (laughs) thing. But of course, it is a a thing that all of us do need to consider if we are taking that big step of getting married. Yes, I mean, it's up to you two as a partner and based also on the trust, like it was mentioned in that debate. Do you trust each other to do a prenup? Also, if you go into the marriage without a prenup, what would the consequences be? But... Leave your comments on our Facebook page. Would you sign a prenup or not? Africa Link. Sport. Now hosts, AFCON host Ivory Coast eliminated reigning champion Senegal in a penalty shootout to book their place in the 2023 AFCON quarterfinals following a 1-1 draw after extra time. I mean, Kai, this is a big comeback after nearly facing eliminations, right? Yeah, certainly for the Ivory Coast. I mean, they were basically out already at the group stages, mm-hmm. only managed to qualify for the for the second round as one of the third best qualifiers in their group. They'd even sacked their coach. Yes. That's how bad it was. And uh, then Frank Kessier comes on and scores a goal from the penalty spot four minutes before the end of time, converts this penalty and certainly gives the Ivory Coast the chance to go into extra time and then also converts the final penalty, the fifth kick of the shootout, to send the Ivory Coast through. The Ivory Coast seems to have redeemed themselves after quite a poor poor, uh, group stage display, Mm -hmm. Okeri. I mean, it's completely crazy. And fans in Ivory Coast are celebrating, of course, but in Senegal, it's opposite. We cannot forget that a lot of people were supporting Senegal, especially since they won the last tournament. Here is what Senegal's coach Alouis Cizé had to say about the defeat. See, we came here to win this African Cup of Nations and we were disappointed for our people who were expecting a lot from us. But I'm proud of my boys. 
When you lose, you have to keep your dignity. In defeat, we will keep our dignity. But it was a rather strange match with a lot of set pieces. No need to go over that again. The regret is that after the goal we lost, the thread of the match and that we jumped the lines too much. Whereas we had started the match well, controlling possession and finding the gaps. It is a shame we couldn't hold on to that, but that's football. In 2022, we were happy. Today, we are sad. Sad for the boys and all the Senegalese people, but that's how football goes. We'll remain dignified in this. That is Senegal's head coach, Alio Cize, um, speaking there. Now for more on yesterday's game, I spoke to Buba Jalo and asked him for the key moments on the game between Senegal and Ivory Coast. That was a dreadful game. Uh, that game between Senegal and Ivory Coast, even though Senegal got their first goal right into three minutes of the game. So the way they played it, and it came out, tell, it, it, it's like uh, there was that feeling that Senegal had already won. Personally, though, I was excited for Senegal, but also very sad for Ivory Coast, mm-hmm. even though like I wanted both to win and uh, no one to lose. But in the end, of course, one team has to win, right? Um, so I had to stop looking <laughs> looking at this for a yeah. bit. I mean, yeah. was it expected when we got to the penalty that oh, Ivory that, Coast that, that would take it? See. That part I didn't want to <laughs> see. It was like I wanted to get the result and then I would look at it again. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. I, I waited after the result and then I went again and watched the highlight and, and saw it. And Because then I knew, okay, uh, uh, Senegal was out. Very sad. Mm-hmm. Very sad for Sadio, Sadio Mane. Like, that penalty being missed. I was excited, though, because the goal was called by Ejalo. You know, I'm a Jalo <laughs> Okay, <too>. okay. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people were eyeing Senegal to win the cup again. And Ivory Coast are currently playing with an interim coach after they fired their, um, their coach, Jean-Louis Gasset. I mean, do the odds look better with this new interim coach that they are actually going to make it further? It's gotten off to a good start. You have to get, you have to see that uh, Faye winning his first match mm-hmm. as a coach of the national team. It looks good. That is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I think it was a good idea to have Faye as an interim coach because he was born in France. He grew up in France. He played football in France. And you have a team that are all, all experienced players, all playing in Europe. Most of them also were born in France. So they sort of speak the same language. Like, you know, they have this European type of football, but they have this Ivorian mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, they're playing football. They're not just kicking or running after a ball, but they're they are running with a passion. They're playing for a passion. For They know they have people behind them that are not just watching ordinary football. They're watching international pride. So Faye is a guy, I think, he has the knowledge, he has the experience, and he also has that passion, that, that drive to, to bring in the win. So uh, them beating um, Senegal, to me, didn't come as a surprise. I mean, I mean, for me, it was a surprise because all I kept hearing and all I kept thinking was Senegal throughout um this entire Afghan. Another uh, team as well was Morocco. And today we have Morocco versus South Africa playing. And Morocco are fan favorites, of course. I mean, they have not won an Afghan match, but they nearly made it in the FIFA World Cup. So everyone thought of, thinks of them that they'll also make it far in the Afghan tournament. How, what are the odds for them? Does it also look good for them? The thing is, Morocco has world-class player. Thinking of Ashraf Hakimi, who plays mm-hmm. for PSG. Yeah. And 
You know, this sort of player tells you that Morocco has a really good team. Uh, you saw how they did at the World Cup. They they are coming back with a very determined goal to actually win this uh, AFCON. And you have to know that Senegal, Senegal, Senegal are out. Then I would say you have to really pay key attention to the sort of um, game that Morocco is playing. I'm not saying that Morocco is going to beat South Africa today. Because one thing I've learned about this Africa Cup of Nations is to not give the odds just because so and don't not do not say that one team is going to win mm-hmm. because uh, they are big because they have good players. Yes, we've seen that happen. We've seen teams like you know uh, Capo Capo Verde, uh, Guinea Bissau, uh, even Guinea Conakry. They're all doing extremely well like, compared to the likes of Senegal out, uh, Egypt out. Uh, Algeria, Tunisia out, you know, those are, those are all like really, really big, big teams. And uh, so I'm not going to say that they would beat South Africa tonight. But I also have to say that watch out for, Mor- uh, for, for Morocco. Mm-hmm. They're really, really keen on continuing that glory from the World Cup to bring it to Africa. I mean, for personal reasons, I would like South Africa to lose <laughs> just after um, over the weekend's game versus Namibia exactly for personal why, reasons. You have to say why you want South Africa to lose. Because they beat your country. Yes, very much so. They beat Namibia. But for personal reasons, I, I would like to see them not advance. But let's see um, what happens at the next game. I hope Bafana Bafana <laughs> fans are not listening to this. Otherwise, they're going to be so mad at you. I'm but, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the way, I mean, it's football. It's everyone, is, you know, yes. everyone has their passion. Everyone supports the team. And in this case, I think I'm rooting out for South Africa for obvious reasons. Because, I don't know, I don't want to say that here. Mm-hmm. But I am rooting out for, for Bafana Bafana on this particular game. I hope that they go they go further in this because we've seen Bafana Bafana they've had terrible terrible history the last 10-15 years they haven't done football when I grew up in Africa like I heard Bafana Bafana all the time they were so good and all of a sudden they are nowhere even Bayana Bayana the, the women's side they are better than the men's side we always mm-hmm. make fun of that and so um, I'm quite excited to actually see them come to the uh, group of 16 stations I hope that they can also make it to quarterfinals or even semifinals I was speaking to our colleague there, Buba Jalo. Leave your predictions on the game um, on our Facebook page, DDW Africa. This has been Okeri. And that's me, Kai Nebe. Until next time, goodbye. DW. Mid for mine.